Good morning, everyone. Well, welcome in the name of our risen Savior. Uh, let me begin with a prayer, please. Father God, uh, I ask that your eye be on me. I ask that your spirit guide me. I ask that you give me wisdom and your love to share. In Christ Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Oh, it's my hope this morning to share with you some valuable wisdom. It's more important wisdom than that you may that may give you pause as you reconsider getting those matching tattoos on your first date. This will be God's wisdom to better understand and equip us all to deal with this new year. Seriously now, you know, we're all interested in the future, especially how it affects us personally. What's God got in store for each of us as we go about our lives, as we leave here today and resume our futures? A good starting point would be a correct perspective from someone who is never wrong. We have a God who can always be trusted. Now, if you'll turn to page uh, 1012 in the Black Pew Bible, uh, please turn to the book of James, chapter 4, verses 13 to 17, will be our foundation and focus this morning. Let me quote. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do, not know, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. You know, some people have some strange ways of trying to know their futures. Some rely on tea leaves, fortune tellers, or palm readings. Others may use astrology, which is a little complicated, thus suggesting some kind of credibility. They may read books like Megatrends or other speculative books trying to gain some idea of what the future lies ahead for them. Now, as we look back at this first century uh, man in James 4, we see he was a successful businessman. He probably would be even today. While he was boastful, and we'll talk about that characteristic a little later, he was successful as he made ambitious plans for the future. He doesn't look like a failure, and I think he would have many contemporaries today. Although we usually think of failure as not succeeding at the task at hand, failure can also be succeeding at the wrong thing. Let me give you a personal example. When I was in high school, I had this bright idea that I would complete an assignment in this English study book way ahead of the rest of the class and the due date. After submitting my work to the teacher, I discovered that I had done the wrong assignment. 
Sarcastically, the teacher announced in front of the whole class that I had, what I had completed was very good, but it counted for nothing. She got many laughs with that. Now, this really hurt because it was my nature to get the laughs, not her, especially at my expense. Let me give you another example of succeeding at the wrong thing. My late dear friend, walking beat partner, loved golf. He came to work one day and told me for the very first time in his life he had got a hole in one. Now you duffers out there will know how special that is. And then he quietly added that he hit the ball in the wrong cup. <laughs> he succeeded perfectly at the wrong thing. Sadly, this too counted for nothing. It had also cost him another stroke on his score. We both had failed. As you can see, failure can be succeeding at the wrong thing. Now today, as we look at Scripture, uh, James 4, we must acknowledge five grave warnings for our future, and they are, first, we must avoid self-centered planning. Second, we must avoid idolatry. Third, we must become consecrated. Fourth, we must concentrate on God. And fifth, we must avoid procrastination when it comes to God. First of all, avoid self-centered planning. Now let's go back to James and take a closer look at this first century businessman as he plans his future. Clearly, he's looking at his future from a business perspective. He begins in verse 13, assuming God has given him another day to go into another city and make more money. This man has already laid out the coming year for his well-being. He's assumed that he has another year he has also decided on his destination. Look again at verse 13, please. I will go into such a city. Now he has many cities to choose from, but he has already focused on a particular city where he believes he will have the advantage. He says, that's the city. Thus far he has decided on the place and the time, but not only that, he goes on to something else. He plans his business activities there, buying and selling. He appears to have some kind of marketing scheme. He has planned the time period. He has planned the place and the procedure. He has also planned the profit. He says, I will buy and sell and get gain. That's it. On the surface, this may look like a good plan. He's going to make a bundle in the coming year. He assumes God has granted him. So what could go wrong with his plan? The Bible is certainly not against making a profit. In fact, it encourages it. Such things are not inherently wrong. So what's the problem? He has left God completely out of his plans. He didn't even ask for wisdom or blessing. He's like many people today. Many of us 
are separating our spiritual lives from our business or work lives. We separate our lives into the secular and the sacred. Some of us come to church to worship God. Then we plan our lives as if there was no God. The late pastor Adrian Rogers said, quote, The biggest fool is not the man who says there's no God. The biggest fool is the man who says there is a God, but doesn't live like it. Should we place God in all our plans? The answer to this question is found in verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. How many of us have ever prayed, Lord, bless what I'm doing, rather than seeking God's wisdom and praying, Lord, show me your future for me. Now, Psalm 32, verse 8, promises us his personal counsel. Quote, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Being guided by God's eye means that you have a personal, close relationship with him. We need to initiate a relationship with our Lord. He wants you, he wants your will to be his will as you look to the future. Consider Isaiah 30, verse 21, quote, And your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. When you turn to the right or when you turn to the left, that's God saying, don't go this way. Don't go that way. This is the way. Walk in it. Would you like God to guide you this coming year? In John 16, verse 13, Jesus makes it plain and simple. He's speaking of the Holy Spirit and says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. We have the Holy Spirit, our heavenly guide. He is reliable. He is trustworthy. Romans 8, verse 14 tells us, quote, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Isn't this wonderful? Isn't this pure, sweet, and true? We have a loving God who will guide us through the Holy Spirit. We don't have to be stumbling around in worldly darkness in our lives full of regret. Don't draw to the end of your lives saying, I failed in my youth. I failed in my adulthood. My old age is full of regrets and guilt. Don't let your lives be a book of lamentation. By the grace of God, through Christ Jesus, your life can end in victory. Draw near to the light of truth. Listen up. God has a plan for every area of your life not just your church. Seek God's eternal wisdom. Now, confession is a necessary step to know God's plan. 
Remember, God is holy. He cannot be in the presence of sin. If you are holding on to any unrepentant sin, even a grudge, you cannot gain God's ear. He will not hear your prayers and other prayers of, other than prayers of confession and repentance. Psalm 66 verse 18 tells us, If I had cherished inequity in my heart, the Lord would not listen. You are wasting your time if you are praying with unconfessed, unrepentant sin in your heart and life. That's so plain. John 1, verses 5 and 6 says, This is the message we have heard from him and we proclaim to you that God is light and in him no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we are holding on to un confess sin in our lives rather than walking in the light the future doesn't look so good if we are holding on to uh, sin stumbling around in darkness without God listening to our prayers this is not good confess all your sins draw near to the light of God's word second we must have a good understanding of idolatry. Do you really know what idolatry is? Maybe you think, those are the primitive people living in remote places, worshiping statues and fearing evil spirits. That's idolatry. They pray to good spirits to protect them from the evil spirits. They can recite very long prayers, trying to gain favor with good spirits. Can you recite a lengthy fraternal oath but not the Lord's Prayer? Maybe you're practicing idolatry and didn't even know it. Think about this. An idol can be a car, your home, and yes, even a membership in a fraternal club that you love more than God. Pastor Alistair Begg and Luke suggested I try to do his accent, but I, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Pastor Alistair Begg describes idolatry as anything other than God that we regard as essential to our peace, our self-image, our contentment, or our acceptability. Even stuff that appears noble can become idols to us. Idolatry is anything that excludes God if you love it more than him. An idol is also anything you may fear more than God. And when I'm talking about fear of the Lord, I'm talking about uh, ways that you intimately know him best and for your own well-being, that you may have the ability to walk in all his ways. Now consider uh, Ezekiel uh, chapter 14, verse 3. Son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts and set the stumbling block of their inequity before their faces. 
Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? So you want to know God's will for your future? Make sure there is no unconfessed, unrepentant sins in your life. How can you expect a fellowship with a holy God if there's unconfessed, unrepentant sins in your life? Again, God is holy. He is sinless. He cannot be in the presence of sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1.9 Third, we must be consecrated. To have that intimate fellowship with the Holy God, you must be consecrated. It's not enough to be clean. You need to be consecrated. To be consecrated means to be set apart. Set aside for a holy purpose. Proverbs 3 verse 6 tells us, In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Simply stated, to be concentrated means you pray like this. Speak to me, Lord. Don't pray. Listen, Lord, this is Ken, your servant, speaking. I have some ideas I'd like to run by you and humbly ask for your blessing. Do you really want to know the will of God or do you want God to help you with your will? Have you acknowledged him in every part of your life? This is what it means to be consecrated. Fourth, we must concentrate on God. Read your Bible. Listen to God. There is the voice behind you. It's God guiding you. The Holy Spirit is described as a gentle dove as well as a soft voice. This is why we need quiet time to be alone with God, to read his word, and to quietly listen. We should always be on guard against self-centered planning as well as self-confident presumption. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, verse 28, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your span of life? Look back at James 4 again, verses 14 and 15. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time, then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. Yes, our lives are like a vapor that soon disappears. Have you ever had a close call where the difference between life and death was just a nanosecond? I hope it wasn't something you reflected on for just a short time then forgot about it as you lived out your futures. I believe these close call events can be a blessing they can serve as a lamp unto your feet, not only to remind us of God's sovereignty, but also that he has a plan for our futures. Our lives are a gift. Any future God may bless us with is to be cherished. Our futures belong to God. He is sovereign, therefore any plan should always include our creator. We should always seek his will, his counsel. 
God will not be thwarted in his plans for you. I wonder if there are any folks here today that remember ever receiving a letter that was signed at the end of the letter with the initials DV. What does that mean, DV? In Latin, it's Dio Volente, or God willing. It's a beautiful way of acknowledging the sovereignty of God. Finally, we must avoid procrastination. This will hurt your fellowship with God. Most of us never think of procrastination as sin, but it surely is. Did you hear about the guy who started a Procrastination Anonymous support group? He announced the date, location, time for their first meeting, and no one showed up. Seriously now, procrastination is truly a sin. It may be the most serious problem for many people today. Procrastination can be very deceptive. It is a greater sin to fail to do what you ought to do than to do what you ought not to do. Many of us don't believe that, but I believe it with all my heart. The Bible teaches that the sins of omission are greater than the sins of commission. Why is it a greater sin to fail to do what you ought to do than to do what you ought not to do? Simple. If you're doing what you ought to do, you can't do what you ought not to do. But most of us don't think of procrastination like that. Many of us think that if we don't do the obvious sins that we read and talk about every day, uh, we're okay. This is self-complacent procrastination. It too is deceptive and dangerous. This is self-complacent procrastination is the big reason why many people are lost and going to hell. Obvious sins such as murder and robbery don't in themselves cause people to go to hell. Those sins have been paid for by Jesus. Those murderers and robbers will go to hell solely because they procrastinated about accepting Jesus as their Savior. The reason a person is lost today simply is because he has failed to do what he ought to do. God tells us in John 3, verse 18, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. No longer is a man condemned to hell because he's a sinner, because those sins have been paid for. But he has that, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed. I once read a clever Bible tract. On one side it said, what must I do to be saved? The answer, Acts 16, verse 31. Quote, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. On the other side of the track, it said, what must I do to be lost? And there was nothing printed there. Why? Because you don't have to do anything to be lost. It is a sin of omission that sends people to hell. 
Some of you folks will remember Scarlett O'Hara and Gone with the Wind when faced with adversity often saying, I'll think about that tomorrow. Then there's little orphan Annie hoping that her next day would be adopted out of that cruel orphanage singing, I love you tomorrow, you're only a day away. Well, both these young ladies were mistaken about their futures. You might not have a tomorrow to make things right. You might not have a tomorrow to again ignore a critical decision in your life. Procrastination and or omission can lead you down the primrose path to hell. The sins of procrastination or omission are also some of the reasons why some churches fail. It's some of the reason why some families fail. It can easily lead to the biggest sin of your life, omitting Jesus. As you leave here this morning, remember that self-centered planning is wrong thinking too. Don't leave God out of any of your plans. Embracing self-confident presumptions as you plan your future can easily lead to disappointment or worse. Don't leave God out of any of your plans. Center your heart and mind on God. Fill your heart and mind with the rich promises of God that are always lovely, just, pure, and true. Draw near to the light of God's word. We don't know what the future holds. This may be the year we check out. Proverbs 27 verse 1 tells us, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know a day may bring. Let's get serious about it and be ready. Don't waste any more time. There may be some here today that know God's calling them. Come now to the cross of redemption, the cross of salvation, and claim Jesus as your risen Savior. Why do you wait? Maybe you're thinking, well, I first need to do this or that important thing to be acceptable to Jesus. Then I can give my life to him. Well, you're wrong. There's no guarantee you'll even have it tomorrow. You know there is a God, a death to die, a holy and just God that you're going to face. There is nothing you can do in this world to be acceptable to God. Jesus paid it all. He's calling you right now just the way you are. It's only by his grace, his unmerited favor to the lost that you can be included in God's family for eternity. With confidence, you will then know that your future is in his hands. Your future will be secure as you will be in God's family, as I said. If it's now your heart's desire to know how Jesus can be your Lord and Savior, please talk to me after the service. I would be blessed to talk to you about this critical issue. Father God, thank you for these souls that have gathered here today. And may your Holy Spirit move mightily through the hearts and minds of each of us and that we will have 
the divine knowledge, Lord, that you have a home for them, that they can be in the family of God by calling Jesus Savior and Lord and being reconciled in, in peace. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.